There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. I happen to believe that it isn't always a level playing field in organizational life. Some people seem to figure out what they need to do to manage their careers for the best outcome, and others seem somehow to have missed the playbook. Not that they're not capable of it, it's just they figure it out a little late, and it impacts their careers as well. So my guest today calls this playbook, quote, inside knowledge. What we want to talk about today is what is the inside knowledge you need to know, and what do you do as a result? So my guest is Allison Temperley. Allison is a facilitator and executive coach with over 20 years of experience in coaching and facilitation. Her clients run from a broad range of um, corporations from all over the world, from Europe, Asia, USA, and Africa. And she specializes in working with senior executives and their teams in large global legal consulting and accountancy firms. Now, that said, she does a lot of work with corporations as well. Her key topic is leadership and client relationship building, and she's written a recent book that draws on her experiences called Inside Knowledge, How Women Can Thrive in Professional Services Firms. Now, I'm going to give you the heads up. It says women and professional services. I think it could say people in any firm because it's as applicable across the board as it is to those particular um, areas. Allison is initially qualified as a certified accountant, and she was with PricewaterhouseCoopers. She's done a lot of lecturing and a lot of writing of articles. She's been at the Cranfield School of Business from 2011 to 2013, and she uh, has a master's in organizational psychology and is a member of the Association for Coaching. So, Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Wanda. I'm delighted to be talking to you. So am I. So am I. I think this is a good topic, and I think you've done a brilliant job with the book Inside Knowledge. Let's start at the top of it, though. What's your key point in the book? I think the key point is to help people, and you're right, both men and women, um, take some conscious control of their careers, as you put it, to to understand the playbook. None of us have total control over our careers. That would be wonderful if we did. But there's a lot that we can do. And I've come across people who do seem to know what the playbook is. And the key point is to be conscious, to be strategic, to to work smarter and not necessarily harder. Right. And you've talked about the fact that I've called the the book Inside Knowledge. And And for me, there are two kinds of inside knowledge in that. It's about knowing the organizational playbook from the inside, much as you've, you've talked about there, but it's also knowing about yourself. So what do you want? What's your motivation? What are your self-limiting beliefs from you? Because after all, you're the driver of your career, I suppose. And for me, it's only by knowing both of those things can you get to be where you want to get to. You need to take conscious control of your career um, in the context of the organization that you work within, whether that's 
corporate or a professional service firm or a not-for-profit. Right, right. I'm interested, I'm going to come back for a minute, this notion that some people do seem to figure it out fairly quickly what the playbook is about. What's your experience? How did those people go and figure it out? Is it just intuitive to them? They have guidance? you, you have any clues on that? I, the point about guidance is well made. And I, I think that I come across some people who've had fantastic mentoring from an early stage, and they certainly seem to get the playbook very early on. But there are others who get it And I'm not quite sure where they've got it from. They seem to, as you say, intuitively just know the way things work around here. So I think it's a mixture of, if you like, nature and nurture. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's talk for a minute about, I'm going to put this not in terms of the positive, but in terms of the negatives. You know, what are the three biggest mistakes you watch people make in not understanding this inside knowledge? Okay, let me give you let me give you two omissions and, okay. and one pure mistake. And I think the the first omission I would give is is not to give your career the attention that it deserves. It's really important. You're really important. And that sounds incredibly obvious, but actually, I see so many people who don't think strategically about where they want to go with their careers. They get bogged down in the doing of their jobs rather than thinking at a sort of strategic level about their careers. Um, People who don't gather the information they need for their appraisals during the year, that they prepare for appraisals late at night, Um, they don't use the opportunity to talk about where they want their careers to go and see, for example, see the whole formal appraisal system as a as being a bit of a chore rather than what it is, which is a fabulous opportunity to pass information on to uh, the people who make decisions about your career. I guess my, my key point is that if, if you don't give it the attention it deserves, then you can't expect other people to. Right. And if I take that on to, well, so what? So what should, what should I be doing? My advice is to know right up front about what the organization you work for wants from you at the beginning of the year. Now, you need to keep that in mind and also keep a longer-term strategic view about what, where you want to go with your career. So there are, those two things need to be balanced and held in mind at the same time. And you need to keep assessing what you've done and what you need to do as a live project. I see so many people who just pick it up at the end of the year or think about it at the beginning of the appraisal year and then don't think about it again until the end. I would always recommend keeping a file, whether that's in hard copy or on the computer, which has feedback on you, it has the appraisal document that you're going to be using at the end of the year, and handle it in the way that you would handle any other important project that you're doing at work. You would, you would have a file, you would keep it in mind, you would think about it, you would collect information. So you're important. Treat yourself in, in the way that you would any other important project. Hmm. And if I want to give you an example, Wanda, yeah, there please, is please. a very senior um, successful partner in a, in a global law firm that I know, and he kept a career file all the way through. 
And at the start of every year, he'd review the appraisal form that was going to be used at the end of the year and consider what he needed to do in order to be able to meet the organisational requirements as set out on the appraisal form. So that meant that he was very focused during the year. He volunteered for the assignments that would show his development or things that he needed to to prove in the process. Um, in those areas that the organization thought was important. And I have to say, if he's an example, it was a very meteoric rise. So there's some good practice there, which we can all learn from and is worth doing. I love that you say treat it like any other project that you would do. So this notion that I'm going to, throughout the year, I'm going to get all sorts of feedback, hopefully, from clients, from colleagues, all sorts of things. But if you don't, I think, print them anymore, because emails have a way of disappearing in my life, at least, so that you've got them there, so that you can actually remember and you can reference them, you can go back to them, and you can have some time to prep and think about an appraisal. So it reminds me of a woman I was working with a number of years ago who was trying to get a very strategic promotion, and she walked away from the coaching session and said, right, I've got it. It's called Project Me. I'm going to spend 10% of my time through the next year on me, and I'm going to treat it just like it was a project, just like it was a client I was going after, just like anything else I would do, and I'm going to document it accordingly. Uh, She got the promotion, I might add. Absolutely. And, And if you think about the kind of people we're talking about, people who are great at their jobs, they're organized, they're thoughtful, uh, they involve others in the things that they do at work, but somehow when it's talking about their own careers, it's so easy for us to leave that on the back burner and somehow either almost assume it's somebody else's responsibility or it's not important enough to put one's effort into. And and it isn't anybody else's responsibility and it is so important. Yeah. I know so many... Family and those... (laughs) the organization that you work with for. I know so many people who get frustrated that the boss comes to the performance appraisal system, whether it's a regular, you know, review system or a formal mid-year or end-of-year appraisal system, somewhat unprepared, having not thought about what they want to say and what they want the person to do. But equally, I find those individuals also come to that meeting unprepared, so they have no way to take control, even if the boss hasn't done an ideal job. And if you're prepared, you can at least guide the discussion in the direction that you want to go in. And just even the simple things, Wanda, like writing an agenda. I mean, you know, there are a few meetings that we would wander into without an agenda, and yet somehow our own appraisals, we're prepared to either not have an agenda or to hand the agenda over to somebody else when we're talking about our career, which is really important. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Do you have an estimate how much time you think somebody needs to spend on their own appraisal process throughout the year? Well, I would suggest, here's a, here's a practical tip. I would suggest that it's worth putting in maybe 90 minutes, so that's an hour and a half, every two weeks in your diary as a recurring agenda item, let's say on a Tuesday morning, every other Tuesday morning. And those meetings, I often call them meetings with MS, 
which stands for Meetings with Myself, they are there not to do your work, but to think strategically, both about the work that you do, but also about your own career. And if you have used those 90 minutes, um, you know, maybe rather than getting into work at 8.30, you get in at 10, but you've used those 90 minutes to really think strategically about your career and about your, your assignments, your job, by the end of the year, you will be ready. You can always take those meetings out of your diary, but you have to consciously take them out of your diary um, because you think that something else is more important right. than thinking strategically about your job and about your career. All right. It's interesting. We want other people to spend more than 90 minutes, but we're unprepared to do it ourselves. I think that's an interesting thing. And I've always said to people, if you spend more than 10% of your time on this, then you were probably overdoing it. But 90 minutes every two weeks, not a bad choice. All right. So we started this with the mistakes and omissions. You said there were two omissions and one mistake. One omission is not giving your career the attention it deserves. What's the second? The second one is that once you know what you want and what the organization knows what the organization what the organization wants from you is not to mobilize your development network now we all have an organizational network which is there to get things done um if we're in any kind of management or leadership position we've got people in within our organization who will help us get things done the network that i think very often we're missing is this development network that will help our careers rather than help us get the day-to-day work done. And there are some key roles in that development network, and often we confuse those roles. So in the book and, and in my coaching practice, I'm very clear about the difference between supporters and sponsors, because I think they get confused. So... Mm-hmm we will normally have some people around us who are supporters. They think we're good, but they play a very passive role. So if they're asked, they will say that we're good, but they're not going to be out there talking about how good we are or giving us proactive suggestions as to what we could do. And I want to contrast that with sponsors. And sponsors do that much more proactive thing in terms of talking about you when you're not in the room. And very often when decisions are made about your career or assignments that you're going to be given or projects that you're going to be asked to do, you're not in the room. And you want a sponsor in that room who has a lookout for you, who's thinking about what's important for you and where your career is going. And I think it's very important that we have as many as many supporters as we can possibly have, but vitally that we have a sponsor. Okay. Okay. And that that I, sponsor has all the information that they need in order yeah. to talk about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find um, sponsors tend to come and go for people. So I agree with you that sponsorship role is unique to all the other advice that you get. It's not necessarily what your immediate manager is doing for you, though let's hope they're doing some of that. And it's not the same as what a mentor might do, and it's certainly not the same as people you've worked for who, when asked, are going to say very good things about you. 
But as you say, they're more passive. They're not going to be proactive on your own behalf. And having somebody who does that for you is really good. But one of the problems is, you know, you work closely with someone or in the area where someone can sponsor you, and then you drift off to the next responsibility, and you can easily lose touch with the sponsor. Or the sponsor is often more senior, and then they exit the organization. So I find it's a constant churning cycle. What's your advice on that one? I think two things I would say. Um, One is that you have some control over this. So keeping in touch with those sponsors who've known you in the past and know you to be good is important. And that's that's our own responsibility. That's, That's one thing that we can do. The other thing, and you make the point about sponsors leaving, I, I can remember a fabulous uh, banker I was working with in, uh, in Amsterdam who had the most marvelous sponsor, but he left and she was stranded. She hadn't got anybody else. And in fact, the, the politics in that situation meant that she was seen as being his protege and therefore was much more, uh, found it much more difficult to find another sponsor. But it's something that we need to be proactively thinking about ourselves to find that proactive sponsor. In some organizations, it happens organically, but very often we need to ask people to perform the role of that sponsor. Now, would you talk to the managing director about this particularly good project that I've done? Asking them is, there's no harm in asking them. They can always say no. But we need to know what we want from that sponsor, and we need to help them to do that by suggesting. So, uh, you know, I've often heard that you don't ask people to be a sponsor, but I like how you said that. You ask people if they will speak to someone else about your role in a particular project or the outcome or the response from a client. So that seems perfectly legitimate to me. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And there are organizations where the, the roles are formalized yeah. um, and then you either the organization gives you a sponsor or you formally ask somebody to sponsor you. But um, quite often it isn't formalized in that way. Mm. And the question is, who's doing those particular roles for you? And you may need to project manage that and ask mm. them to do the particular bits of talking you up or passing information on. Okay. I love that one. Project manage your own um, sponsorship. I love that one as well. Okay. (laughs) So two omissions. One is not giving enough career attention, your career, the attention it serves. And two is not mobilizing your development network, including your sponsors. What's the mistake? The mistake is not remembering what you love about your work. Now, everybody knows what they love about their work at one level, but actually reconnecting with it or connect, keeping connected with it, I think, is, is a more important point. Um, so that there are days when going into work is, is hard and there are days when, to use an English phrase, you whistle into work, you know, you're really enjoying it, you're looking forward to it. Think about what it is that you're doing at work when you're loving it and talk about that show that enthusiasm think about how you can get more of that and i i just think about uh, clients that i've worked with and some for some of them it's the it's the solving puzzles bit for other people it's developing the team there's a numerous as many people will have as many different things that they love about their jobs but being aware of what that is and 
again, strategically going out and making sure you get as much of it as you possibly can is important. It goes back to that point about taking control of your career. Part of taking control of it is saying what it is that you love and what it is that you want to do. Because after all, the, the leaders around you are not mind readers, um, usually. That's not their skill. Right. And uh, you informing them and showing that enthusiasm is important. I know a lot of senior leaders that I speak with, as do you, Allison, talk about you have all the time in the day for somebody who gives me energy and no time for somebody who takes energy. The giving energy is somebody who comes in excited about something they're working on, enthusiastic. I don't mean cheerleading, exciting, but genuinely kind of buzzed about the work they're doing, the opportunities that they're, the challenges that they're facing, and speaking about it in a way that's really positive. Yes. Absolutely. It's infectious, isn't it, when, you, when you've got that? Yeah, And there are it always is. more opportunities for it than you think there are. I mean, so if I take myself as an example, um, I'm a chartered accountant working as a tax lawyer, uh, sorry, sorry, as a tax accountant. Um, and the thing that really excited me was developing the team, was working with people, um, including my clients, actually, to pass on knowledge and develop them. The more I talked about that, the more people said, well, you know, maybe you'd move into learning and development. Maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a slot for you there. And it worked. And I now, I still do do a little bit of accountancy, but that's not my love. That's not what, I, what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. But by mm-hmm. talking about it, I did find ways of combining the two and ultimately ways of working in what I think is the best job in the world. I love what I do. Fabulous. All right, Alison, we're going to take a break. Um, uh, Today I'm talking with Alison Temperley. Alison has a lovely book called Inside Knowledge, which is both the playbook about how you need to manage inside an organization, as well as what you need to know about yourself, your own motivations, your own beliefs, um, and so forth. And we've just been talking about the biggest mistakes and omissions that Allison sees. One is people don't give enough attention to their career. And the advice is 90 minutes every two weeks. That's a recurring item where your meetings with MS, myself, to think strategically about your work and about your career. And if you don't give it time, then you can't expect anybody else to give it time. Second thing is not understanding how to mobilize your development network. And then the third thing is not understanding or not focusing enough on what it is that gives you joy from work. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about some wonderful tips that Allison has in her book, particularly around politics and self-promotion. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Allison Temperley. Allison is a facilitator and executive coach working with corporations and professional services firms around the world. We've been talking about her book, Inside Knowledge, which is, in effect, the playbook for how you need to think about managing your career. Now, while it's written for women specifically and for professional services firms are the examples, it's, I think, as applicable to absolutely any organization anywhere And we've just been talking about the kinds of mistakes and omissions that people make, largely having to do with not spending enough time focused on this, thinking about this and managing it. So what I want to do next is to pick up a couple of the things that Allison has talked about in the book Inside Knowledge and focus on her advice on how to manage things. So Allison, let's start with that ever lovely subject that everybody wants to talk about, politics. What's the secret? The secret is putting aside your thoughts about politics and coming back to it afresh. So let me give you the best definition that I've found of politics. And it's that I think it comes from the Oxford English Dictionary, but it's politics is social relations involving authority or power. Now, that is entirely value neutral. It just is. Politics are those social relationships involving authority and power, and they will be there in any organization you're working in. I always sort of take a deep breath in when people say, oh, this organization is is political. And I'm thinking, well, actually, every organization is political because they all have authority and power and there's social relationships within that. And those social relations involving authority and power are the way that we get things done Um, If you ignore them, you're not helping yourself and you're not helping others. The skill is to use those politics you're already involved in to get things that are important to you done. And whilst inaction is is a legitimate choice, it needs to be a conscious one, that you are consciously deciding that you're not going to get involved in the politics. And there will be all kinds of consequences to that. Yeah. Being politically savvy, it's about getting things done in the most effective and efficient manner. Um, This can be getting your good idea implemented or ensuring others can see what you're contributing to the organization. If I use those as two examples, neither of them are unimportant and neither of them are Machiavellian, which is often the thing that is said about people playing politics. Um, You're operating in an environment with social relations involving authority and power. Be savvy about it. And there are three things that I think are really important that you um, are very aware of, particularly if you're going into a new organization, but even in an organization that you think you know well. Who has the real power? 
And that's often not the person with the title. Uh, sometimes it's the person who used to have the title or the person who's about to have the title. But don't be blinded by names on doors. It's who has the real power, who's listened to. And equally, what's the real agenda going on? It may not be what people are paying lip service to, but what is, where are the people with the power spending their time and their attention? That probably is what the real agenda is and what's really important to them. And the third thing is, very importantly, where are the alliances? Who is likely to support whom when they're having a decision-making process? Who is who listens to whom and where, who, the person with power, who, who do they listen to? All of those things are very important. Um, and they're parts of ensuring that your idea or your career is seen and appreciated by those who can really make a difference. It doesn't guarantee that they'll say yes, but it allows your good work to be given a chance to flourish in your organization. Yeah. I love this. I'm going to come back to where you started at the beginning of this, this notion that every organization has politics. I often say to people, when you get three people together, there's politics. Yeah. Because politics is nothing other than trying to influence people to do what it is you think needs to be done. Now, hopefully for the greater good, not for some Machiavellian sense, though it can be that on occasion. And I like your definition. Politics are social relationships that involve power and authority straightforward and really simple so let's go to your three things you know who has the real power and it's not the person with the title necessarily i have seen in organizations sometimes people who are quite junior wield an enormous amount of power so i think about somebody who's an executive um administrator for a senior executive who controls what goes on that executive's um, desk and on their agenda and what the executive speaks about sometimes publicly and not speaks about publicly, what they're interested in, who gets access to them. That individual isn't necessarily very high in the hierarchy, but boy, do they wield a lot of power if they have a great relationship with the executive. Absolutely. And you can take, if I think about senior leaders, um, executive assistants, or their PAs, mm-hmm. who, who gets access to that person? Mm-hmm. And, and how are they viewed by the person who sits outside the office can be very important, surprisingly important. I know cases where strategic agenda items have been um, approved and publicly announced by making sure that it got into somebody's speech. Yes. It's interesting. There, I mean, if you look at professional services firms, too, frequently there will be a junior member on the team that is highly valued and is doing a lot of the work and is briefing the senior member of the team, and that person can also wield a lot of power. It's true inside your own firm, and it's true in your client firms as well. So figuring out who has that real power and what that base is about. Your second item was, what's the real agenda? And I loved how you said that's where the people with real power are spending their time and attention. Do you have any examples of that just to illustrate that one? I'm thinking of lots of initiatives that big corporations pay lip service to. Um, things on social, uh, corporate social responsibility, for example. Um, and I'm an accountant, so I'm, I'm always 
slightly dubious about profit-making organizations. How much is their real heart in the wonderful things that they say about corporate social responsibility? And the acid test of that is who is, te- who is spending time on those, that part of the agenda and how much power does that person have? Often it's hived off to somebody who doesn't have power. But if you looked at the annual report of that organization, it would look as if that was almost the purpose of the organization was to do good things in the community. So it can be at that kind of level and it can be at a very micro level. Right. I've certainly seen, um, I'm going to take it out of, you know, the obvious things that we do because we feel we need to from a branding point of view, but into projects where, you know, we have a global initiative going on on something and people do believe that it's really important to accomplish something out of that global initiative. But you will find that an executive gets focused on an aspect of that. Yeah. That they're much more keen to know where we go, how we go, how we're managing, how we're controlling something like, um, I, you know, I don't, don't have an example in my mind. And they'll spend their time on that one, but not necessarily on the other aspects of the global initiative. So it's noticing where that time and attention is really focused on. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Now, the third thing you said is where the alliance is. And this is the one that I think is there's magic in this one. Who supports whom? Who listens to whom? But I would also add the negative. Who doesn't listen to whom? And who is going to compete with whom regardless what the idea is? And those exist in every corporation as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think they all come together, Wanda, in, in very often... I see people going into meetings where important decisions are going to be made about their projects, work that they've been doing, and they have all of the factual information. If you like, all of the neck upwards intellectual information is all set out. And they come out of that meeting and somehow the discussion has come up with something completely different, which they weren't expecting. And that's because there have been pre-meetings, a number of pre-meetings, where other people have influenced the important people in those with power in that meeting. Um, other people have used the alliances that are, are there and not been strategic uh, and, and have been strategic, whereas the individual that I'm coaching has not been strategic and has not got the outcome that they want. Right. I see that every day and sometimes for misinformation where the pre-meeting isn't so much to kind of pre-bake that everybody would be with you as much as to make sure sometimes that people understood exactly what you're talking about, where the data came from, and questions were answered. Because I've seen conversations swayed out of misunderstanding, and a bit of advance would have done that. I've also seen people absolutely getting together to say, we're on board with this and we're all going to back it right or not back it. So that knowing who is aligned with you and who isn't aligned with you. Okay. Any other advice on politics or shall we go to impression management? Let's go to impression management. Okay. So what's the secret on impression management? I think the mistake that I see here is that people think that just doing a good job is sufficient and it, and it was. At, at school and at university, it was sufficient to just do a good job because 
people were paid to mark your essay and say whether you'd passed or not. But in corporate life, in organizational life, I can put it more broadly than that, it's not just about the good job that you do. It's about who knows about the good job that you do. And it's terribly important that the current truth, I don't want anybody to lie or to, to uh, blag about the things that they do, but what they do need to do is to get out there the current truth about what they've been doing. Because often in those meetings, and we talked about them a little earlier, those meetings where people's careers are being discussed, there will be people in those meetings who have old truths about you, the kind of person you were five years ago, or they'll have half-truths. They've heard from somebody else that you did something. And you, you want to make sure that the people that are making the decisions about your career know what you've been doing now. It, and it isn't about working any harder. You don't have to work for all of those people now. You just need to have the conversations with them that will show what you're doing and what you're capable of now. Um, people think that because they're in a system, the system will somehow be fair and record the good work that they do. They, they, others think that the people that have control over their careers will take the time to have a look at exactly what they've been doing over the period of a year or longer and assess it objectively. And of course, the system isn't infallible and the people who have control of your career are busy. So they're busy doing other things. You need to give them that information in a way that they can digest and use effectively. Um, and a lot of that is in your control. So the, the first step I would take is to think about what you contribute to the organization you work for. Not, not the inputs, not I work really hard, but what are the outputs like, like profit or reputation or increased sales or reduced costs? Um, I'm a certified chartered accountant. Uh, I'll never lose sight of the, of the power that numbers and talking commercially gives to any argument. So think about what value you add to your organization and then talk about it. Um, talk about it at the coffee machine. So, for example, when you're asked by a senior leader, you know, how are you doing or how are things going? You can just bat that away with uh, things are fine and which gives them no information at all. Or you can give a brief referral to something that you're doing. So it doesn't take any more time to just say, um, I'm good, you know, how are things going? I'm good. Um, I'm working on XYZ project, which is, which is going incredibly well. How are things with you? And just adding in that middle sentence that gives them some information about what you're doing can be really effective and really helpful for them because they now associate you with that project. When that you are talked about or that project is talked about, they make the connection. Right. Such a simple thing to do if you stop to think about it. And now we're back to the 90 minutes every two weeks where you actually stop to think, what is it? And also a great way in that sentence, how are you doing, to say I'm working on X, Y, and Z project. I'm really enjoying Yes whatever it is that you love about your job because now that's tagged oh wanda likes to do more of this let's give her more of that okay absolutely and they will feel your excitement it is literally infectious if you're talking about something you love to do again as you say not cheerleader excitement but right. but genuine excitement right 
I also think it's um, always helpful in your 90 minutes every two weeks to have a bit of a soundbite. What's a piece of information that others would like to know? You know, a client has said X, or we're discovering that lots of clients are wanting Y, or we've discovered that costs have gone up by 15% in this period of time on these kind of things, or we're seeing this trend. Any soundbite like that, I believe senior leaders are information junkies. So giving a bit in that moment when you say, I'm working on X project, really going very well, you know we've discovered that. You don't even have to say I. You can say we in that phrase. Um, Tags you as a person to come back to for more insight and more information. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, Allison, we're going to take a break again. With me today is Allison Temperley. Allison, the book that we've been talking about is Inside Knowledge. And this is really how do you understand what it is you need to do inside your organization in order to make your career thrive, as well as what do you need to know about yourself and how you go about it, about managing yourself in your own career. I think what I love about this so much is it takes some very complicated topics and drills them down to some things that actually are quite actionable, like politics. The notion that there are three questions that you need to answer. First off, get over that politics is a bad thing. It's everywhere. It's influence. Three questions. Who has the real power? Not the title. What's the real agenda? Which is where are the people with with the real power spending their time and attention? And where are the alliances? Who's supporting whom, listening to whom, and who's not listening to whom or supporting whom? Those three questions will stand you in really good stead around the politics. So when we come back, I want to talk about time, the final thing that we never seem to have enough control over. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. 
Welcome back to the show. With me today is Allison Temperley. Allison is a facilitator and executive coach with many years of experience in global organizations, some specialties in professional services firms of all forms. We've been talking about her book, Inside Knowledge, which is really what is it you need to know in order to manage your career. And we were just talking about politics, the three questions that you need to ask, as well as impression management, a very simple tactic for how you go about answering a question that comes every day, how are you doing, with something that helps manage the impressions. So, Allison, I want to talk now about time. I mean, everybody, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we taught lots of time management courses and tactics and so on, and we couldn't do that. And now everybody is talking about time, 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 time. How do you manage time? What's your advice? Well, I think we can take some advice from the neuroscientists, which is an interesting place to to start and was certainly not something that we were talking about 20 years ago when, as you say, we were all about time management courses. Um, I think how we spend our time is very much linked with our brain power because we spend a lot of time at work and usually the thing our organizations are wanting from our time is, is that brain power. And to be most effective at work, we need to understand how we get the best from our brains and that precious time, uh, as well as ensuring we get to do the things we love doing. So let me tell you something about our brains as adults. And I'm assuming that most people who are listening in are not teenagers whose brains literally are wired in a slightly different way. Many of us learnt about how to use our brains effectively when we were teenagers. So we think that we can still think and operate really well late into the evening. And the sad truth is that as adults, that really doesn't work anymore. As adults, the best time for thinking is in the morning. And yet, my worry is that we use much of that very special, precious brain function, sifting through emails, looking at what's come in overnight, trying to sort things out. So my advice would be to do a very quick review of your emails when you come into the office. Just make sure that there aren't any things that really can't wait until 12 o'clock. But then manage your diary so that the time that you have until 12 o'clock is used on things that really need good brain power and good thinking. If you try and do those late in the evening, it really doesn't work very well. You can get it done effectively and efficiently in the morning in those three hours between 9 and 12, let's say, which is why I'm saying that um, earlier on in the podcast, if we were going to have meetings with myself, those 90-minute meetings every uh, two weeks, let's say, to have them in the morning when your brain is good and sharp and thinking about things. The other thing I would say about time um, is the importance of, of lunch, the importance of breakfast, the importance of taking some time away from your desk and feeding your brain. Your brain is a physical organ, and we tend to, particularly in the West, separate out our bodies and our, and our thinking capacity. And actually, if we stop and think about it for a while, actually they're intrinsically linked. And we have to give our brains rest time and we have to give it good food and good exercise and look after ourselves. And in a way, it's managing your energy 
that is the important bit, managing your brain capacity rather than managing your time. If you manage your brain capacity and your energy, then you will be getting the most out of your time. That's an interesting one. I mean, so a number of people now are starting to write, a couple of people on the show, in fact, are talking about the importance of food and of eating well. As Because if you're not doing that, the stress issues start to become chronic. It's yeah. not just the small stress. They be, it really is critical to feed the brain. But I like this notion of you thinking about where it is you have your most productive time. And you're right, for most majority adults, that's the morning. That's the first thing in the morning before it's clouded with a whole bunch of to-dos. Now, I find that what stresses me and a lot of other people are the number of different topics I've done, the different meetings that I've done, the different things I'm supposed to do as a result of those meetings, the different ideas that have been introduced. And by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, my brain is literally full. (laughs) I, I can't process anything else. So have you encountered this? Do you have any advice? I think... Just watch what happens to yourself. And I'm, I'm the same as you, Wanda. By three o'clock, I, I need to, you know, I'm blinking my eyes and trying to get my head around everything. So know that about yourself. Know that that is not a good time to be writing a project report or synthesizing really difficult information. Leave that until the next morning, if you possibly can, depending on deadlines, particularly if they're client deadlines. But if you possibly can, take in information during the day and analyze it early in the morning and I guess my plea to everybody is take control of your diary or as much control of your diary as you possibly can so that maybe the afternoon is the time for meetings if they are just taking in information kind of meetings but the analysis um, and the working out what you're going to do with the information should happen in those morning slots right One of the senior executives, he happens to be in financial services that I've worked with, says that people can come into work and be inordinately busy for many, many hours in the day and not get a darn thing done. And his advice is very much like yours, that you scan your emails, but you reserve your first hours, couple of hours, for the work that really matters, for the thing that's really urgent on your agenda and you're very crystal clear what's the one piece you are moving forward today. Not that you get it completed, but you move a piece of it forward and then go on with all the rest of the stuff that you have to do in the course of the day. It's interesting. Absolutely. The French have a phrase, and I wish I could uh, I could remember it precisely, but it it refers to being under a shower and things are just happening to you. Water is raining down on you. And I guess what I'm saying throughout the book and throughout any of my advice is take some control don't just be under the shower decide what it is that you want take control of your diary take control of your career as much as you can right a lot of people are going to push back and say i can't control my diary my manager controls my diary and i i think you can challenge that because i think you have small bits of control in ways you don't realize you just have to exercise those and you have to explain to your, your manager why it is that you work most efficiently in the way that you do work most efficiently. That's in your interest, in their interest. And as long as you're talking about it, you've got a chance of getting it done. If you don't talk about it, there is no chance. You will work to their agenda. 
Okay. All right. I'm going to shift gears. I want to talk about organizational dusting. What do you mean by this? Well, if I take any of the people who are listening, when you walked into the room that you're in at the moment, I bet you none of us thought, gosh, this room has been beautifully dusted. Dusting is one of those housewifely tasks that nobody notices if it's done well. But if it isn't done, everybody notices. And I think there are, there are tasks within organizational life that are just like dusting. And they just are not noticed by people. So the kind of things that I would say is organizational dusting can often be bringing on the juniors. Now, bringing on the juniors is a really important task in any organization. But it kind of gets uh, caught up with the dusting. Nobody's noticing who's doing it. They certainly aren't seeing the commercial or strategic importance in doing that. At a more micro level, it might be putting together the slide deck that somebody else stands up and presents to. There are all kinds of things that go on in organizations which are the equivalent of organizational dusting. And you don't get any praise for doing it. And it takes up a lot of time. And I guess my two bits of key advice are, if you do do organizational dusting, if there, is there somebody else who would get benefit from doing this? Somebody who could learn from it. Maybe it's time you passed it on to somebody else. If you can't do that or don't want to do that, then you need to talk about that dusting in different ways, in ways that show its value to the organization. What is it adding? And then you will get recognized for it. So you have a choice, but be aware if you're caught in the organizational dusting that that is what's happening to you. Right. And it, you're right, it can be a thankless job. Yeah. Um, I remember working with one senior woman who was, again, looking for a particular level of promotion. And, you know, she was being tagged with too much organizational dusting and therefore not enough strategic input. And one of the things she got caught in doing was taking the minutes at a very high-level meeting. I mean, it's a very critical meeting, and the meetings are important. Somebody needs to do it, and they would object if it wasn't done. But she'd always done it, so she was still doing it. And the big break, one of the big breakthroughs among several was to quit doing those. Bring a junior to that meeting to take the notes, which is good for the junior. It's good exposure. It's good learning. It's good insight. And that allows her to participate in the meeting at a strategic level, not be thinking who said what. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And I've also worked with other people who do a lot of organizational dusting that's valued and they were never getting credit for it. Like bringing clients on board to a platform or um, training juniors and then sending them out into the organization. And in both of those cases, what I remember they did is to put some numbers, Allison, for you as the accountant, (laughs) around how many juniors they brought in and put forward and where were those juniors and what were they doing now and how rapidly they get promoted, what was their appraisal ratings, or in the other case, how many clients have you onboarded and What's the revenue stream from those clients? And what's the reputation coming back from those clients in the process and so on? And both of those are a way of calling attention to the organizational dusting and showing the importance of it, taking it out of the dusting category and into something else. And there are certain things, I agree with you totally, Wanda, and there are certain things that stick in people's minds. Um, Client names, so if they're big corporates, Sexy client names, people will remember that, and numbers. 
so moving from you know it's a I'm training lots of juniors to I'm training 15 juniors or 150 or showing the the quantum of the value that you're bringing sticks in people's brains and not okay. just accountants. <laughs> okay, I love it. It does stick in everybody's brain. Just that one little sticky fact. Um, or one anecdote or one phrase is we know is what makes this memorable. All right, Allison, fabulous advice and tons more. If you check out the book Inside Knowledge, Allison Temperley is my guest today. I think, Allison, as I look back over all that we've talked about, um, there are a couple of things that stick in my mind. One is this notion that you create a file for yourself all through the year where you're focused strategically on what you're trying to achieve in your career, what you need to show that you've done results for, and you accumulate that over time. And the fact that you spend 90 minutes every two weeks strategically thinking about both your work and where you're going in your career. And the last thing, I, I just love this notion of when somebody says, how are you doing, to say... I'm doing fine. We're working on this X, Y, and Z project. It's going really well. We've discovered X. It's the easiest thing in the world to do impression management right there in that moment. So, Allison, thank you. It's been a delight to have you as a guest. It's been delightful to be talking to you, Onda. Okay, join us next week for another episode in Out of the Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.